Strong for the wonderful opening to episode 20 of High Times presents Free Weed from Danny Danko. Very, very excited about this one. This is an extreme sativa episode. This is like a, a, a Vietnamese Laotian uh, Highland Thai crossed with a, a, a Durban poison African uh, dark sativa. This I was a, just thinking that. This is a, a I was just about to say that same thing. Episode 20, man. <laughs> Who would believe we'd even be here? Episode 20. Yeah. Yep. Amazing. We We're have, still here. We have a very grow-heavy episode because we've, we've done a bunch of music stuff, and we wanted to get to some serious cultivation. So uh, we have my colleague Nico Escondido is going to be on here to talk about the strongest strains on earth. He had these uh, entries to four of our different cannabis cups over the last year. Uh lab tested for THC percentages. So we're going to talk about uh, what the strains are that made the list of the strongest strains on earth. Uh, we have an incredible exclusive interview with Reefer Man. Uh, this is a seed breeder who is a member of the Seed Bank Hall of Fame who won the Cannabis Cup in 2004 and 2005 with uh, Love Potion Number 1. And uh, his Willie Nelson strain, a, an expert on sativas now, uh, back in the game, had some uh, some misfortunes. But and this is a really big deal because he, he's not talking to anybody, right? No, and no. And it's here. been uh, several years since anybody's really heard from him. He's been sort of, uh, uh, you know, somewhat of a, a, a recluse, I would say, or, or underground, you know, working underground, and now uh, is back and with seeds on the market. So we're very excited about that because I really... Uh, appreciate his knowledge on uh, breeding and his knowledge about uh, creating seeds from inbred lines as well as hybrid vigor and a lot of interesting things. So Reefer Man is on the show with a nice uh, long interview. And as usual, we have our cultivation segment. We've got the uh, strain of the week. We've got uh, a a bunch of different tips that we culled from a recent article. And uh, we've got our regular Q&A segment. So uh, another big, huge thing this week, obviously, is these uh, raids uh, in California, in particular, yeah, we, on Oaksterdam. We got to talk about that right yeah, off the bat. Yeah, I mean, um, this is completely uh, outrageous uh, action by the federal government in Oakland, California, to raid Oaksterdam University, a place that I've visited and, and photographed and written about. Uh, on a number of occasions, and Richard Lee, who is a hero to the cannabis movement, uh, along with Proposition 19 and many, many years of activism for the plant. We're really looking at this as something like a stoner stonewall or stoner wall. When uh, In the late 60s, when uh, the, the gay movement was attacked, basically, here in New York, 
uh, with yet another raid, and they just finally had enough. And it was really a very pivotal moment for them uh, as far as people coming out, as far as lots of, uh, there were riots, you know, which I don't recommend, but hey, if these people are going to push us, we have to push back. And it's incredible what they're able to get away with. And I'm very disappointed in the federal government right now. Well, let's Uh, just uh, stop for a second and give uh, listeners a little background. In case you haven't heard at this point, on Monday morning, uh, Oaksterdam and four other properties in Oakland were raided by agents from the DEA, the IRS, and uh, U.S. Marshals. Uh, Richard Lee was detained but eventually released. Employees were also detained and released. And hundreds of protesters sort of surrounded Oaksterdam University. People we've um, had on the show, Addison DeMora, the show. Debbie Goldsberry, people, uh, Oakland Bay Area activists. So, yeah, But th- uh, this is a big deal because Richard Lee is a very prominent member of the medical marijuana community. He's, mm-hmm. he's dumped a ton of money into legalization efforts like you mentioned, Prop 19 and other Changed things. Changed the neighborhood in Oakland where this place is located much for the better and uh, uh, there were representatives from the Oakland City Council uh, Rebecca Kaplan uh, in particular who were there to defend him and say how much that these places were uh, contributing to to that local community which is amazing so it's really an attack on our uh, on our movement and it's an attack direct attack from the federal government. I believe we have a statement from Richard Lee that we could read. Yeah, we do. Um, Oh, this is also in conjunction with the fact that just a few miles away while this raid went on, there was a murder of, I believe, seven people were killed at a university not far from that location. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, juxtaposition here. You have a shooting at a school, and then another school in its own right was raided that same day, almost at the same time. Uh, Here's what Richard Lee had to say uh, say in a release statement. Uh, Two universities were struck, one by a ruthless killer. Where were our law enforcement officers guarding a plant that hasn't killed a human in recorded history? The raid was meant to demoralize us, but it will not cripple us. It will merely galvanize us. Yes, here, here, and I agree with that wholeheartedly. This is going to be a tipping point for us where people are just sick of it. You know, cannabis consumers... Uh, medical patients, recreational people, everyone is sick of it. I see it on Facebook and I see it on Twitter. It's an outrage that this place would be raided that tried so hard to help their local community and so hard to stay within those state laws and within those regulations. So for them to raid Richard Lee, that means none of us are safe. Dale Geringer from California Normal called the Fed's policies an insult to the people of California who passed Prop 215. Dale made an interesting point at the rally on Tuesday, uh, the rally that took place after these raids. And, you know, we've defended Obama quite a bit on this show, but Dale correctly points out, um, you know, there are more arrests for medical pot providers in the last three years under Obama than in the entire uh, time that George W. Bush was in office. Incredible. You're not going to hear me defend Obama on this episode. I'm very disappointed. Obviously, he was a better choice than John McCain at the time, but I'm very disappointed with this. And there are petitions, especially at change.org. There's a huge petition you can sign. Over 100,000 people, I believe, have signed it already, calling on Obama to... uh, clarify the federal position and really understand because if 16 states including the district of columbia allow this and he campaigned on allowing this 
uh, then something's something's wrong. That's the information on Oaksterdam. Check out hightimes.com, uh, the news section and the feature section for more information. Yeah, it's so, a very unfortunate situation. Absolutely. But... We can only say that it's a political thing and we have to unite and fight back. That is that. We have a ton of cultivation information to come because the, another way that we can fight back is through information and the sharing of information. And that's why free weed is called free weed. The strongest strains on earth were, is coming up with Nico, an interview with Reefer Man, and a ton of cultivation stuff. Uh, without any further ado, free weed episode 20 is on deck. Legalize it. Don't criticize This is Piotage Phenomenal, the national organization for the reform of marijuana laws. Did you know that more than 400,000 Americans were arrested last year for the possession of marijuana? People are being sentenced to up to 40 years for even standing beside a joint. Well, I think it is definitely time for you to help doing something towards this. To find out what you can do, just write normal, N-O-R-M-L. 1600 K Street Northwest, Washington, D.C., 2006. That's 1600 K Street Northwest, Washington, D.C., 2006. Help normal to help protect your rights. All right, we are back. Thank you very much for being joining us here for episode 20. Yeah, we got a, a special guest in the studio today, yeah, right? Absolutely. We have uh, my colleague uh, and co High Times uh, cultivation editor uh, person. <laughs> Perfect. Great intro. Wait, let's uh, do our start over. No, no, we got it. Our cultivation editor, Nico Escondido, is here with us. Yeah. And he's going to talk a little bit about his uh, Earth's Strongest Strains article. Right, thank you. Thanks, Mike. <laughs> what's up, Nico? So this, yeah, what's up, Nico? Uh, so this article was in our May issue of High Times uh, with strongest strains on Earth uh, on the cover, and you wrote this. This is pretty groundbreaking material here. You actually uh, basically compiled the results of, of of the testing that's been done on these strains over the past uh, several cannabis cups, right? Yeah, um, about a year, year and change. So this was. Based on last year's four medical cups, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so these were lab tested with uh, gas chromatography machines or, or liquid chromatography machines for their THC content, their CBD content, the CBN, and uh, correct. And some of these here uh, tested up in the you know twenty five percent, twenty four percent range, um, which is pretty pretty high for. It is. It, it, um, you know, a lot of people think that, you know, strains get up there into the high 20s, even low 30s, but that's uh, really just, it's not true. Um, I think the highest strain ever tested was close to 28, but nothing over that. And these were approaching those levels. Um, we tested 400 strains last year, over 400 strains in f- those four cities in the U.S. And uh, these are the ones that tested over 20%. Um, this is kind of unprecedented for us, you know. I mean, lab testing hasn't been around that long, and we certainly haven't been lab testing at our cups. Uh, we started in Denver uh, mm-hmm. last April, so we could actually say <laughs> they're the strongest, yeah. at least of what we've seen, you know. 
Right, based on what people have entered into these uh, contests. Right. And so there's some some interesting things that resulted here. Uh, first of all, if, as I look down this list, it's just like Kush, 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 you know, <laughs> uh, Chem, 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 Diesel, Diesel. Um, obviously, that, you know, family of strains seems to test really high in THC. Yeah. Um, that you know, those are the fun kind of things that come out of this too. It's not just what's the highest strain, but you can start clumping things together, like exactly what you're saying, like lineages, uh, certain families, and and for sure the chem dog family is well represented here uh, here in this. Now this is only 21, I should say that Dan. There's, this is 21, but there were actually I believe 31 strains over over 20 percent last year. So this is. Um, you know, the top eight, the top highest are in there, and then kind of like our our picks. Right. Um, so what was the absolute strongest one uh, tested here? So the strongest uh, is that is, is on the cover. It's the OG Ghost Train Haze. It's uh, from Scott over at uh, Rare Dankness. Wow. Now, you know, <laughs> and I'm sure Scott's asking the same question. Why uh, was this not a winner? If it was the highest, and um, that's just that's something I wanted to say was that um, typically the strains that win test at eighteen, nineteen, maybe twenty percent. We haven't had most of these strains in here did not win, so it's a, that's just an interesting little tidbit there. So aside from uh, these lab tests, of course we have humans uh, judging as well. And course, so yes. that plays a factor, and that might be why some of these high, highest THC strains don't end up as winners. Well, yeah, exactly, Dan. Um, you know, the the lab testing accounts for only thirty percent here. Um, when it, in our new you know scoring system, which we we also implemented last uh, Denver Cup. So seventy percent is the is the human factor, as it should be. These are medical cups. Most of the judges are experts and patients. Um, and the other factors that go in are, are like what you were touching on with the. The terpenoids, um, you know, the flavors, the aromas. I mean, that's a huge part of it. And, I think and, even the flush, you know, of and course, how yeah. well the strain burns because the same strain entered by two different growers was going to score completely differently. Even if it tests the same uh, for THC, it's going to score differently based on it's how well it burns. Yeah. yeah, yeah. In fact, that's like that's one of the higher weighted categories. Yeah, yeah. Cool. A couple of other interesting things here in the sativas. Um, the Dr. Grinspoon tested at 21.87% THC. Yeah. That's pretty amazing. That, uh, and that was a winner, I think, of something in, uh, for Barney's Farm. It was, uh, but the year before. So, But, yeah, I mean, I'm sure it's the it's the same cut he's growing over there. He's growing out there. Um. Yeah, I mean, that's super wispy uh, sativa that's really uh, not very pretty when to look at, but, uh, with a 21, almost 22% 20, THC. 22, that's, yeah. that's huge. That's huge. And then blue dream, another, uh, big, uh, Cali sativa tested at 20.75% THC, which is pretty exciting. Uh, and gold haze, another one. So, wow. It's in, nice to see the sativas, uh, testing that high. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, you know, we, like I said, we had a few, you know, that we didn't, we couldn't fit in the story. And when we were cutting some of the strains, um, the Durban poison that's also right there with those sativas, I, you know, it's right there. It just made it over twenty percent. Uh, I don't know, does it deserve to be in there? But it, you know, it's just a shout out for that old school strain. Uh, the sativas really, yeah, they were really interesting. This story was fun to do. 
Um, we're definitely going to do it again. I, I hear uh, you were telling me, I think it was all buzz on Twitter and stuff. So everybody oh, was dude, like, dude, I heard that some of these spots in Colorado sold out like day of like what you know, within a few hours of uh, of this issue, like hitting newsstands, they were sold out. Of, <laughs> ah, nice. You know, people were coming in looking for these strings. That's too cool, man. Yeah, and they I were mean, probably like, yeah, we had that last year. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about? I mean, the other thing is, yeah, we're all always looking for, you know, these potent strains. But I think for, for medical patients in particular, it's very important, this information, uh, to have this, you know, what sativas tested high, what indicas tested high. Because they're really looking to, you know, uh, affect certain conditions. And so it's great for them to know these percentages and, and how well, something is going to work for them. And, and that, this way they can find something they like and stick with it, you know, maybe even grow it themselves. You know, that's an interesting point then. Maybe we can even once every few years do a uh, strongest CBDs. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the other interesting thing is for medical patients that so the CBDs uh, affect them completely differently in the body and, and uh, not, you know, the most recreational of buzzes, but uh, very effective for people with MS and spasms. Sure. And, so, yeah, I think it's important. Uh, what's, what is the highest CBD that you've been seeing recently? Well, um, you know, when we, when we give a CBD award, they range uh, anywhere from about 9 to 14% CBD. Mm-hmm. Now, the one that hit 14%, that was in Michigan, and uh, that was the Canatonic X. And uh, Dave and those guys up there, um, you know, they said to me that they've tested at – 19, 20, 21% CBD. I didn't believe them. So I took some of that bud uh, back uh, away from that state to be as vague as I can be. And had it te- <laughs> You had it tested separately. I, I did. I had it tested at several other labs. And lo and behold, uh, we did see it come up at 19% wow. consistently. 19. 19%, 19% CBD. CBD. This That's is a incredible. Canatonic X. Uh, cut up there in Michigan. Very interesting. I still can't believe it. Yeah, I, but I, mean, I can't refute it any longer. It's just that's if multiple that's labs. High, that's have, a lot. Yeah, that's, but that's, ama- <laughs> that's yeah. very high. I don't know. <laughs> that's uh, amazing news for medical patients and growers that are growing specifically for high CBD. What what is the high like from a CBD? I mean, the way I remember, it's kind of like a body. Yes, a body high. It is very the, much couch very lock. Much. Very much so. Um, you know, I had the, uh, I don't know, this sounds funny, I don't know if it's the fortune or the misfortune of actually having in my possession a very high CBD strain when I had the flu. So I, you know, I'm not a medical patient per se. I don't have very many ailments. I'm more a recreational user, obviously. So it's, for me to say, quote, to talk on medical effects is tough, you know. Mm-hmm. But I was very sick, um, and I was in Spain, and it was awful. I mean, I was in bad bad shape and I smoked it and it's just like you said it's very therapeutic it's very um body friendly you uh-huh. know it, all my symptoms were relieved it was like it, it was like taking a handful of aspirin honestly like it really relaxed me it my muscles were relaxed um pain was relieved um my nausea and stuff like that subsided I had an appetite I mean it it was great nice well that's great and so uh yeah People, check out this May issue, uh, The Strongest Strains on Earth. We've got the THC tests uh, from laboratories to prove it. Uh, these are strains that were entered into these various cups that we've been throwing. And, 
Yeah, this is this is great. So thank you, Nico, for coming yeah, on to talk absolutely. about that. And, thank uh, you, Dan and yeah. Mike. And you will see Cheers. me and Nico on 420, 421, and 422 in Denver, Colorado. We will be back with an exclusive interview with Reefer Man, the seed breeder Reefer Man, when we return. Hey, sorry to interrupt the show right now, but I got to mention BC Northern Lights and bcnorthernlights.com. These guys make these incredible grow boxes. They've been sponsoring us for a long time. So if you need a grow box to create your free weed, to make that cannabis, get yourself a bloom box, a producer, a mothership. Uh, The nursery makes a ton of clones if you're interested in that sort of thing. You can call them anytime, day or night at 888-236-1266. Yes, the grow box costs a little money, but if you've got a credit card or something you can put it on, it's going to pay for itself within a harvest or two minimum. And then at that point, you know what you're smoking. You're growing it in your own home. Everything is touchscreen, super easy. Check them out. BCNorthernLights.com. They got ads in high times. They got a phone number you can call anytime, 888-236-1266. Get a quote. If you mention free weed... They're going to waive the shipping, and they're also going to give you a free nutrient package for a full year. Uh, Typically, you can get up to four harvests in a year in one of these boxes. So you're going to have nutrients for a full year if you mention free weed from Danny Danko when you call them. And, And they'll appreciate knowing that you learned about them from this show. So give them a call, BC Northern Lights, 888-236-1266, or check out bcnorthernlights.com for more info. All right. Wow. Welcome back. And we have an incredible guest for you guys this episode. We have Reefer Man of Reefer Man Seeds and MedicinalSeedSales.com. Welcome to the show. Thanks very much. Yeah. So, uh, wow. Last time we had a chance to really uh, get together was almost maybe seven or eight years ago. Uh, You had won the 2004 Cup in the sativa category for the love potion number one. And that was really, I guess, uh, you know, where we kind of met you and, and, and got involved and started writing articles and stuff about some of your products. And I just wanted to oh, also 2005, uh, for the Willie Nelson, uh, Barney's, the first place coffee shop was your strain as well, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And I remember that when you did win that first cup, you, you, you know, one of the things you had mentioned is that, uh, you know, now Canada has brought something to the Dutch scene that they maybe hadn't had yet. And I think that was a a nice infusion of genetic energy that, that started right around that time. Oh, for sure. For sure. And then, uh, kind of, kind of exploded after that in terms of, um, a, a new rebirth of, Fresh genetics in Holland. Yeah, absolutely. Canada and from the USA. And then, uh, you know, shortly after that, we had written a few articles and and, uh, things were chugging along. And I know you had some some pretty big ideas and some pretty pretty big projects uh, planned for that time. Um, So what what ended up going down there? Um, Well, I was working in Europe and... uh, I ended up going to South America and uh, did some pretty pretty big uh, projects. 
I was actually down there when Jorge Cervantes was doing those greenhouse articles and stuff. And, uh, yeah, stuff kind of got a little bit out of hand in, in South America and ran into some legal problems and uh, ended up uh, making my way back to Canada and uh, um, have been pretty much consistently breeding but had to take care of a whole bunch of issues both uh, legally and, and medically to sort of come back to where I'm at now. Um, but at this point, uh, you are back, and uh, seeds are available at medicinalseedsales.com, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. We've been back for a while. I've been working pretty much nonstop for the last six years. I came back, and I guess it was a, a blessing in disguise in one way. I had some health issues, and I got a um, medical license here in Canada, and I've just been chugging away, working on uh, everything that was in the old lineup which was well refined in south america i was able to do some really big projects down there so everything wasn't a loss i mean we did selections in some cases from 500 or more plants and so our seed lines were really narrowed and really vastly improved um and so for the last five years i've just been working on uh, creating new new uh genetics and uh um, refining some of our older strains to the point where they're they're just outstanding. Wow! Yeah. Well, some of the most interesting stuff for me uh, in your arsenal of genetic material was uh, the the Central and South American stuff, like the uh, Santa Marta, the Colombian strain, and the Panama Red from Mexico. I think uh, one of the major contributions that you had, I believe, was was bringing some of those sweet sort of pink. Uh, sativas into the gene pool at large uh, and I think that's I know re- it's kind of interesting that we term back in the day we were saying we use the term land race an heirloom and uh, right and IBLs you know, in, uh, in red really lines that, nobody really used those term, that terminology at all um, and today it seems to be uh, you know commonly used to refer to specific types of, uh, of plant material specific types of of strains. However, I think that now it's kind of lost its meaning because it's it's become a coin phrase to sell things rather than, you know, really representing what it means. Right, the actual stability is not there. Yeah, and and I think that um, that I've just seen a lot of things out there that, um, you know, that just, like, ties that finish in in 60 days and stuff like that. So I think that representing it as a land race variety that finished in 60 days probably isn't that accurate. Not to say that it doesn't have those genetics in it, but you know what I'm saying. I think right. that it's become um, kind of a, a, a term that might not you know, represent its original intended meaning. Now, you had experience, even prior to uh, breeding with medicinal cannabis seeds, you had experience uh, breeding with pigs. Is that correct? That's right. That's actually um, where, where a lot of those terms come from. And, uh, yeah, I have a background in, in agriculture, swine breeding. Um, and you, you created award-winning well. lines of uh, pig genetics as well, right? Yeah, I was definitely a big contributor to the PIC black line boar. Um, and, 
and other other um, F1 hog varieties, which is kind of ironic. We we call them F1 and terminal and pig breeding as well, meaning that we're crossing two land race varieties to make a a swine that has hybrid hybrid vigor and um, you know gains weight very quickly. And it's basically the same idea, regardless of what you're looking at, whether it's plants or pigs. Um, right, and it, the breeding is similar. And so, but um, that's sort of how you began to understand the dangers of inbreeding. Absolutely, uh, inbreeding. Um, you know, whenever, whenever anything's inbred to excess, you uh, start to, um, you know, lose um, vigor. You start to lose. Um, basically, everything becomes uh, a, a melted down mush of of um, kind of lost our words right now. Like it's it's muddy genetics. Essentially, it just becomes, uh, you know, basically when you make, take it and you make it, most people want, uh, don't know what they want. A lot of people, when they're buying seeds, they think that they want an IBL, an inbred line, or they think that they want a land race. And this is what I, what I found interesting when I first introduced them to the market, was what, what most people who are buying seeds truly want is they want an F1. Um, they want something that offers extreme hybrid vigor, that grows very quickly, um, and the way you make an IBL is you take the F1s and you do a selection and breed them one more generation to make an F2 and an F3 and an F4, and after the fourth filling group of inbreeding, that's considered to be an inbred line capable of taking two F4s and crossing them, that a new progeny would be an F1. Um, however, what most people find is that if they had grown the original F1, then they buy an F4, they'll find that the F4, well, it will represent the, the um, say, the, um, the average hybrid amongst those F1s. Mm-hmm. It, hopefully it will represent the elite selection that somebody would make, like the best one out of 12 seeds. But usually it will represent you know, about the second or third best out of that original selection, but every plant will be absolutely the same. They'll also be much slower to veg, and uh, they won't, they will, they'll be consistent in height and, and size, more so than the F1, but they'll find that, that they will wish that they have purchased the F1 because they won't find that super elite mom that had explosive growth and major crystallization and uh that vigor you know, that vigor and often it, it even comes down to um clonability um the f1s tend to root faster um you know that's that's the reality of the matter and so when we started in the business people all came to us and said hey why don't you sell us your breeding stock um why don't you sell us your your parent stocks your p1s which is say my tie that's been inbred 10 generations That'll become a P1 or a, a parent line, mm-hmm. and the original seeds that I took it from would be a GP1 or a grandparent line. And so, at some point, then people said, "Well, sell us your IBLs." I mean, there was major demand from this for this on my website back in the day. And mm-hmm. so, we started to market them, and we charged more for them based on the fact that there's a lot more work involved. And what we found was 
most of the customers that weren't interested in making seeds um, were disappointed in the results, and often we we would give them free F ones. <laughs> um, and the other thing that we found is that all over America um, and uh, some parts of Europe that there's been, um, which is cool, we, we're quite happy about it, new offs- offshoots of our, our genetic pool, right? Um, so it was good and bad, I guess, in, in certain ways. I don't think we're going to do that anymore. I don't think that I'll be selling P1s and GP1s or, or land races. So I the, the breeding, the br- actual breeding material is not always the desirable strains that people want to grow out for production. Actually, it rarely, rarely. is. It rarely is. Mm-hmm. When I'm always shocked and amazed when I go into a new, a new variety. For example, I was in North India, and I collected a, a strain we call a Golden Temple Kush right on the Pakistani border near Amritsar. And uh, usually, when I germinate these plants, I'll have to go through three or four. Um, sometimes five different germinations to really get plants that um, represent the the, the real um, essence of the quality of that plant. I mean, when you're smoking hash um, from the areas, you can you can go whoa, and you get an idea of what the plant's capable of producing, and that's what sort of drives you into uh, digging into the genetic material from the region. But uh, here's an example that plant that I collected that we call Golden Temple Kush, we brought it back, and again, being under medical license um, and uh, having had legal problems on top of that, I've had to stick far more to my numbers than I have in the past. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've been to my places when there was, you know, copious amounts of plants and seedlings growing. But, mm-hmm. um, so these plants from Amritsar, we germinated them. And it was amazing. I mean, some of these plants, which came right out of the field, right out of actually the half-shaking bags, um, were better than than Dutch seed company plants that I'd purchased. <laughs> um, I mean, it was amazing. I, um, so I grew out um, 25 of them, and then I, it was so good I gave them to my friends. Um, and uh, we grew them out. And this plant, obviously... Um, had been, you know, kept by people who, who uh, were really into cannabis breeding that did a lot more work on selection in their fields than uh, than most, you know, that I that I encountered. Because we had other um, seed lines from Kashmir, mm-hmm. um, and the Kashmiri. I mean, it took um, a, a relative of mine probably, you know, ten years to actually find the what we call Kashmiri now, you know, what's what's been in the Reeferman seed line for years as one of my hash plants. You know, it took a lot of selection. And so these these plants um from from Amritsar, the Golden Temple um Kush are absolutely just amazing. And so it shows you that some of these unique cultures that um um cultivate marijuana are doing it on a far more intricate basis than than a lot of people would assume because I know the type of selection pressure that's required to produce the kind of plants that uh, are being produced from a very large bag of seeds. And to say, to get where, the, where these are at, I would say that it's probably 15, 20 years of, 
of constant selection to get them into the condition that they're in. And this is an average, so it's quite an amazing plant. Um, I've seen the same thing from Vietnam. Um, we had another one that's called Hao Bac. Uh, um, it's silver flowers. And uh, it's from the uh, Lao-Vietnam region. And uh, it um, came to me from a friend of mine that went back to Vietnam for Christmas about seven years ago. You know, I had these seeds laying around for a long time, and uh, he said, no, no, the weed from my village is better than, than anything you showed me, Charles. Um, and he was talking specifically about the haze-type highs, or the cerebral seed, the sativa highs, mm-hmm. which, if you recall, the Cambodian that you and I smoked on the way from the airport that time with Dave, and you guys got very high <laughs> yeah. stone. Well, that's the high we're talking about. And so, boo, my friend... Um, said, man, you've got to try this. You won't believe it. The Halbach. And so he kept on coming by my house and saying, did you germinate the Halbach? And I was like, no, boo. And finally, I felt guilty. And so I went and I threw like 12 of these seeds down. And again, here, the most amazing sativas um, came out of, the, out of these seeds. And wow. uh, he told me that the Kamiri people had... Uh, cultivated these plants for hundreds of years and it's part of their culture and uh, it should it uh, rung true in South America I was hoping to encounter the same phenomenon and I've been throughout South America um, from Costa Rica to Colombia to Mexico and I found no decent cultivars that have been preserved there by the local people and I've been you know, into some pretty remote areas. It's sort of like um, a dying art in, in some places, I think, as they switched over to poppies or to coca or things that may may have seemed more profitable at the time. Exactly, exactly. And so I, it's unfortunate, but it's so it's, it's vital that that we preserve these, these strains. Like, look at, you know, if you look at Willie Nelson, I mean, there's a, a wild sativa that's, Cross to another wild sativa that had been well worked, you know, so there was no hermaphrodism. Neither of the the plants involved was really that outstanding, but when they were crossed into an F1 form, I mean, the plant was absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, I remember so, that v- the Vietnamese black uh, as well had that real rush, you know, electric rush high. Yeah. Yeah. But. Um, yeah, so, so it's important to do these landrace varieties. My most recent work has been with uh, a Thai variety, and I had so much problems with Thais, and I had such a great Cambodian for years that I really didn't play with the Thais. And uh, I got given some Thai seeds from a guy in Switzerland, and um, I grew them out, and um, they were absolutely phenomenal again. So he said that these seeds go all the way back to 1982, in his hands and uh, so I took that Thai variety and I crossed it to um, an OG Kush variety from California um, the OG fire cut oh okay and and uh, the result was absolutely phenomenal is Um, that the Harmony? it's Harmony Harmony yeah it's probably the most resonated plant that uh, I've ever grown it says here it's a it's a your personal favorite 
Oh, it's absolutely. It's not just my personal favorite. Even here, and I'm in the lower mainland of Vancouver right now, and uh, like most of North America, the commercial market's pretty dominated by Cushes, and they're all here. And a friend of ours runs a local hydroponic store, and uh, he says, hands down, Harmony, despite the fact that it's 50% sativa and it grows like a tie, um, is the number one Cush variety in our area. Wow, that's awesome. Yeah, so aside from, you know, your your sativas, you've got like these uh these indica sativa hybrids that uh that are pretty interesting. A lot of a lot of cushions on the new on the new list of strains. Yeah, also we we've taken and done a bunch of R&D stuff that isn't on that list um where I took the same tie mail um that I used to make the the first generation cross to harmony for harmony. Um, and uh, we used that same mail and we crossed onto a whole bunch of other Kush varieties. And we're going to be uh, just selling those at R&D, like it's for $50 a pack. Um, and uh, we'll continue to do the R&D stuff like it used to, um, to really fuel the culture and get people to grow new and unique things. And when we isolate specific um, strains out of those F1s, then we'll work them further and develop them into, you know, more, more elite breeds. But uh, cool. we've also done some crazy work like um, Thai cross Malawi gold and, uh, wow. and Thai cross Malawi gold cross um, uh, pink kush and a uh, whole bunch of real, real crazy sativas that knock your socks off. Nice. I like that combination of Thai and African. That sounds amazing. Um, yeah. One thing uh, I would be remiss not to mention, and I'm sure this is uh, something that follows you around, maybe like a little bit of a plague, but you had a very unusual upbringing. Um, and I know I've written about this briefly in the magazine, but uh, you were raised by basically by white supremacists, right? Yeah, I was definitely uh, raised and involved in that, uh, in that extreme right culture until I was uh, about... 23 years old and uh i've never looked back yeah i mean you turned your back on that completely and i know that you you disapprove of that and i'm sure you know there's always going to be those people who who you know are going to use that against you but from from my perspective i mean you you obviously turned your back on it and i think that well i've the, raised the, four children and uh you know, my, my, I don't want to say too much about my kids. One of them's in university, and the other one's a national champion in a major sport. And um, the, when they, there's this old, from 1993, um, uh, video that, um, from, a, from a news clipping that has been around, and my kids saw it, they, they couldn't believe that I was ever racist. They were shocked. Yeah. Um, because they've never been raised. They've been raised in such a, a different world than than I was raised in. And, and, right. Uh, well, you also, you took them out of that world and kept them, you know, from being I, oh, influenced by that world as well. Completely. And which I've my, seen firsthand. Well, my children, um, two of my children went to, ironically, went to school in India. <laughs> <laughs> um, since you and I last saw each other, my boy and my middle girl... Um, chose to go to uh the to the uh i shouldn't say the name a no. a school run by a yogi organization 
uh, near the Golden Temple. Wow, that's amazing. Um, which is why I was in the area. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't know, the, you're right. And it tends to be the people that tend to, to, to beat on me for, for the mistakes of my youth, which really I, I, I can't take back. Um, and unfortunately, it tends to be people that compete with me in business. Right. And, uh, well, it's one of the things that, that they have to use against you, but um, yeah. and you know what's and what what's really sad about it is um, that uh, we we like have gone and tried to confront them and said, hey, if I offended you in any way, I'm right here. Mm-hmm. And let's talk about it. And uh, the fact that they don't want to meet with me or don't want to speak to me just kind of says that their motivation for bringing it up is is. Uh, you know, less than, than genuine. Right. Well, my motivation for bringing it up is just to get it out there and have people to understand that, that a, that people change in their life and they are allowed to, you know, change. And as, and as well, you changed much for the better from what I've seen. And I think that even cannabis played a major role in that, in that change. I think the the breeding and the smoking. You read my mind. It's almost like I just sent you a psychic vibe there, Danny. Um, (laughs) Cannabis was like a catalyst of change for me. And it was both the, the plant and the people that I met through the plant that helped me to, to, to leave those, that world. I mean, it wasn't easy to to uh, walk away from from um, uh, something that um, crosses over as your religion mm-hmm. and your politics that you're raised in, and family, and family, and just sort of walk away and and not look back. And I really, literally, haven't looked back. I mean, even even when I walked away, people twist that and said I was a rat. Right. I mean, you faced you right faced death threats. Stuff. You faced death threats at the time, if I remember correctly. No, actually, the 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 thing that's on, the thing that is on the, uh, the, um, you know, that old newspaper or, or TV thing that I was just talking about before mm-hmm. was actually a bombing, <laughs> um, and they never established because I had already when when I was on that thing I'd already it was already known within the movement that I was leaving I had had big arguments, and I said, why don't you guys just piss off and leave me alone, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and one of the, the right-wing people had confronted me about pot smoking, and uh, he said that he thought it was very Rastafarian. <laughs> 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 and uh, I, I'll never forget, I don't want to bring his name into this, but he's a pretty major right-wing figure in America. Um, and uh, said, you know, what, what's going on with you? And... and, uh, and so we we never established whether or not which that that whole clip was about a bomb that was mailed to me, right? And you know it it never dawned on me until because I was so naive that and we were so that the right wing sent that bomb to me to try to get me to rile on against the left again, right? You know what I mean? We don't know who sent it, right? Um, and so it's just so ironic, like and. If, I think if people listening to this, if they weren't engaged in some kind of either far right or far left, I mean, there's very fine lines in a lot of ways. Yeah, because absolutely. radicalism is radicalism, and people are are uh, pretty extreme. And uh, yeah, it's it's a major a major step to to sort of walk away from from any movement. 
Uh, right. Yeah. Well, clearly, uh, clearly, clearly, you have, and uh, um, all that is in the past. Um, why well, don't I think we? It's funny because what are we in right now? We're in 2012. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And uh, the last about... time that I had any um, association spoke to or any with any of those people was in 1995. Wow. So it's been a while. Yeah. All right. Well, moving on, let's talk about. Uh, some mistakes that growers make. Uh, this is something I think people, uh, well, I should mention to people, we are talking to Reefer Man. He is the High Times Seed Bank Hall of Fame member, uh, multiple Cannabis Cup winner, and uh, incredible breeder who really did change the game uh, in, in the 2000s. Um, so it's an honor to have you on the show again, and, and I wanted to talk a little bit about growing. So why don't we talk about uh, what you see as the mistakes that growers seem to make over and over? All right. The biggest mistake is that, number one, people wait until they have um, issues in the rooms to treat for it. All right. In any form of agriculture, whether you're growing wheat or pigs or chickens, we don't wait until we have a problem to vaccinate for it or to treat for it. And the number one people problem that people make is um, waiting until they have a mite to treat for mites, waiting until they have powdery mildew to treat for powdery mildew. Um, you, we know these things exist in our environment and that eventually they're going to come into our rooms. So every eight weeks um, we treat. Um, and this way we can use far less toxic things than we'll have to use um, if we wait until we have a full-blown-out infection. So if you're going to use neem, for example, um, use neem every time, um, you know, say you use neem every four weeks on your on your um, vegetative crops. Mm-hmm. Just spray them um, and, uh, and follow up. If you know you've had a bug or an insect, just follow up. I don't want to endorse any products. Talk to your local store owner. But don't wait until you have issues to treat for them. Treat as a preventative method. Treat it like this is a farm and these things are going to happen. And so I'm going to follow through and, uh, and you know, eliminate the possibility of an outbreak. And that's my number one, my number one uh, recommendation is don't wait until you have an outbreak to treat for it. Just use them just like an inoculation, right? The other number one thing that I recommend is fuller feeding. Uh, fuller feeding is so vital, and so many people don't do it, and uh, it, it is, it's such a, a, a huge, huge bonus to your crop. Um, for me, the perfect crop is perfectly healthy from the moment it germinates through every stage of its life. Actually, I've had some issues recently with some people that I'm working with because they don't understand why I freak out if something gets a little bit, you know, um, uh, thirsty or has a slight droop in its leaf. And I say because it's there's for the perfect crop when you're growing, you know, for the best product that you can possibly grow for, you want no stress. You want to take that plant from germination to finish with absolutely... Uh, no stress and that comes about through foliar feeding as much as it does through root feeding so when seedlings are about two weeks old i start foliar feeding what i what i feed with is very simple 
It's a combination of sea kelp, dehydrated sea kelp meal, mm-hmm. um, and uh, fish fertilizer. Mm-hmm. And, and I you mean, spray that on your, in a mist onto the tops and bottoms onto of the, the leaves? Plant, yeah. Get yourself a pump-style sprayer. It just depends on how big your room is, or a little spray bottle. Mm-hmm. And uh, with the, the fish fertilizer, um, and, uh, and just spray it on. Spray it on. I, I like to fuller feed as much as every second day throughout the entire vegetative cycle. And I fuller feed right up until two weeks into bud. Nice. And then I stop. And if you uh, humor me and uh, treat one plant and don't treat another plant, and the difference will be amazing. Wow, cool. Well, uh, we could go on and on. I really appreciate you coming on, but we've done the, uh, the full half hour. Uh, how can people get in touch with you or, or, or find your seeds? I mean, I know that there's this website, and it's medicinalseedsales.com, right? That's correct, yeah. And right. on the, the web forums, are, they're done, actually. They should be posted up there in the next couple of days. Um, there is the Reeferman Chronicles. Right. We, I wanted to talk to you about that. This is a, a video stuff that you're doing in, in these massive... Yeah, uh, we, we will be doing a video uh, once every two weeks mm-hmm. on YouTube. Um, and it'll take you into my... Uh, I have a couple different rooms. We have one that we call the cup room. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's where I'm growing my cup entries for a couple different cups. And uh, we're going to show the the crops pretty much from the moment we flip them onto... 12 hours of light right through to harvest. Wow. That's awesome. Well, we'll definitely be keeping up with that. I'll, I'll be sending people out on Twitter and Facebook so they can keep, keep in touch. Uh, it's great to have you back and, uh, I'm excited about this whole, uh, 2012 Kush collection from reefer man, all the old strains available, the love potion, the pink Kush, the King. Um, I, I'm just, and they're uh, available in feminized seeds now as well. Oh, perfect. Perfect. So feminized seeds are available. If people are interested, check out medicinalseedsales.com or you can email info at medicinalseedsales.com. Anyway, I just want to say thank you very much for coming on the show. It's really great, uh, that you're back in the scene. I know you've been working hard behind the scenes, but, but the fact that these seeds are available, uh, to people once again is amazing. So thank you very much. All right. Take care now. All right. Thanks, Reefer Man. Uh, Stick around for our cultivation segment coming up next. Free weed. Hey, this is Willie Nelson for Norman. And I smoke pot and I like it a lot. I learned a long time ago that marijuana is a lot safer than alcohol. There's nothing wrong with the responsible use of marijuana by adults. It's time we stopped arresting and started respecting those who smoke marijuana responsibly. To learn what you can do to help, contact Normal at norml.org or call toll free 888 normal right. Wow. Welcome back, you guys. Uh, what an interview there with Reefer Man. Very excited. He is uh, back on the scene. Now, yeah, uh, what do we do? Yeah, some rare stuff right there. Excellent yeah. interview. Man. Yeah. Okay, so what do you say we do a little cultivation right now? Cultivation. What do we start with? The strain of the week? Strain of the week. We got Chocolope. Chocolope. This is an awesome strain from DNA Genetics. Chocolope. Wow, what can I say? This one uh, won second place in the Cannabis Cup Best Overall Strains in 2007. Uh, I also ended up putting it in the High Times Top 10 Strains in 2007 as well because of that placing, as well as because of the flavor, which 
anyone who rem- remembers the chocolate tie uh, buds that went around in the 80s will be thrilled to hear that the DNA Genetics boys have been hard at work reviving that incredible taste and that amazing cerebral high of that fantastic weed from yesteryear. <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, uh, Don and Aaron sprinkled their chocolate tie female, which they got, uh, with pollen from the, their cantaloupe male. And then they back, cro- back crossed the progeny to shorten the flowering time a bit uh, while still retaining that unique chocolatey flavor, which is just amazing. The plant plant flowers a little bit longer than than some nine to ten weeks or so but it's so well worth the wait uh it yields nicely it has incredible medicinal value it's an almost a pure sativa to be honest because cantaloupe is a sativa dominant and that chocolate tie is is almost pure as well uh unseasoned smokers should beware so you know your little stifled giggles are going to turn into uncontrollable laughter it's like that high school high that uh, you remember from, from when you were just starting out blazing. Uh, people reported their uh, hearts racing and a certain level of paranoia as well uh, among the symptoms of overpuffing on the chocolate. Um, so, yeah, if you want to be honest, re- that's not really selling the weed for me, man. That sounds kind of <laughs> Well, awful. you know, if you're a connoisseur <laughs> and, and you want to be reminded of those of, of some of your earliest experiences with cannabis, those giggly, I mean, you know, laugh festivals that you have when you first start getting high where you're just – Right, right. You're I, I guess the bottom line is just be careful if you're not uh, an everyday toker with this because it's pretty yeah. heavy stuff. Yeah, and be aware that, you know, sativas have this type of effect and so you can't – uh, you know, allow your body to start freaking out. And, and if you do feel like you're having some type of a panic attack, usually some sugar or something will help, you know, drink, drink some orange juice really quick or have a candy bar, something with a, a quick sugar, f- sugar rush. Cause typically what that's a cause by is, is, is low blood sugar. So you, you know, you replace that blood sugar quickly and you should be fine. But I digress. Uh, the point is chocolate is a great strain and, for true sativa connoisseurs, this is going to be that strain that just really, you know, is packs that electric, uh, uplifting high. Uh, and you can check it out at dnagenetics.com. Uh, the lineage on this is, like I said, it's cantaloupe crossed with the cho- chocolate tie, and then uh, and then back crossed in order to stabilize the seeds into that uh, desirable tie uh, traits. So. Check them out, dnagenetics.com, Chocolope. Very cool. And as always, please do check out Danko's Marijuana Strain of the Week. It's on hightimes.com, and uh, we have quite a few up there. So it's pretty interesting, great photos, great information. Uh, and um, you know what? Why don't we do a little uh, cultivation tip? What do you say? Yeah, yeah. You know, this, uh, this week I wanted to take – uh, some of these tips that we did a few months back in high times, this was the 21 grow room tips and tricks from the pros. Uh, we reached out to a bunch of people in the industry, professional cannabis growers, and, you know, just tried to get what their, you know, tips would be if they could get them printed in high times. And then we did it. <laughs> so I'm just going to pick out a few of these. Uh, this one is from Mike from Gage Green uh, at gagegreen.org. He talks about using sparkling water when cloning, which is really interesting. Uh, He says, purchase a bottle of sparkling mineral water and put it to use when taking clones. Fresh cuttings from a mother plant crave the essential minerals as well as the tiny carbonated bubbles. 
So placing your fresh cuttings in a cup of mineral water before using your cloning solution will make the clones root faster and increase their survival rate. Although make sure you grab the unflavored kind. <laughs> you don't want to have uh, you know flavored seltzer or something going on there. Uh, bubbles are a happy sound to the plants, and they will soon show their approval with quick, abundant roots. Now, that's something I've never tried before. Yeah, that's interesting. And that's interesting, using sparkling mineral water uh, for clones. So thank you to Mike from Gage Green for that one. Solid tip. All right. Yeah. Next tip, we're going to go to Ed Borg from Delta 9 Labs uh, at Delta, the number 9, labs.com. A longtime friend of High Times and a great photographer and great breeder as well, Ed Borg. Uh, Ed Borg's tip is to label everything, and this cannot be overstated uh, from seedlings uh, to mother plants to uh, cuttings. Basically, anytime you have any kind of marijuana plant, label it and make sure that label travels with it everywhere it goes through every transplantation. Uh, you want to take copious notes. So, yeah, uh, he has a bunch of different ideas here for the for ways to label the containers. Uh, on the side of the containers, under the containers, uh, you could put labels that you tie to the plants. Uh, this is so important because a lot of times, uh, you know, I, I see these disorganized grow rooms and, you know, a lot, of, a lot of growers, they also know, you know, okay, that's that strain and that's that strain and they can recognize them by sight. But confusion happens and if you're taking 50 cuttings and you got 20 from each plant and, you know, it, it, it's just very, very wise and important to always label all of your uh, all of your genetics. Yeah, it's, it's difficult work up front, but boy, are you going to be happy that you did it once those things start you know, sprouting. So, yeah, and yeah. on top of that, I mean, the best growers I know always take pretty copious notes in a notebook as well on uh, you know what day a particular seed sprouted, uh, what day they turn the cycle to 12-12 to begin flowering. All of those things on a calendar or in a notebook are very important to keep track of. That's the work aspect of it, but it pays off. Absolutely. So thanks to Ed Borg for that one. Uh, Moving on, I'm going to pull one out of here by Kyle Cushman, who is a long-time cultivation reporter. Friend uh, of the show, Kyle Cushman. Friend of the show, uh, one of our first guests, uh, uh, and he's available at CushmanVeganics.com and at MedicalMarijuana.com. And he does all kinds of uh, tips and tricks on there as well. His tip, Kyle's tip here, is on transitional feeding. This is the period of time between uh, fl- vegetative and flowering. So what he says here is that plants don't need flowering food until they've got flowers forming. So keep your plants on full-strength vegetative newts through the first week of flowering for indicas and all the way through the second week for sativas. And then combine both uh, veg and bloom formulas for about a week. Uh, Likewise, plants will benefit from continued metal halide lighting for a week or two into the flowering stage as well. So that's important that uh, that transitional stage period is really what sets the stage for your you know, how much flowers you're going to get in the end. So that's an interesting tip from Kyle about feeding during the transitional period and uh, lighting as well. You kind of stick with the veg for about a week and then slowly transition over into the uh, flowering newts blooming. So thank you to Kyle. And wow. we got another okay. one? Yeah, we got a couple. All right. Uh, I got one from Jorge Cervantes, another uh, cultivation editor at large here at High Times. And uh, another friend of the show. Great friend of the Jorge. show. All great right. guest. 
uh, mentor, friend, all his, of those his, things. Uh, his program on Normal, the, the video, uh, I guess, podcast that he does oh, yeah. for them. It's really very good. Yeah. You guys, you should all check that out. It's yeah, very cool. Check out his, check out Subcool's uh, Weed Nerd one, too. I mean, there's some really great stuff going on uh, out there in the world of cannabis blogging, podcasting, and, and radio. So definitely check out Jorge. He's also at MarijuanaGrowing.com, and I believe he's got something.tv uh, which I'll mention, I think, later. But We'll look it up. No yeah. Moment. <laughs> yeah. Google Jorge Cervantes. Google it, please. <laughs> so he's talking about using a green light here. This is interesting. Uh, he says, it's important to catch pests, infestations, and molds early and act immediately when you find them. Insect sec- secretions, I think he means uh, bug poop. <laughs> Insect <laughs> Thanks secretions. Thanks for dumbing that one down for us. Uh, and powdery mildew on foliage surfaces appear to glow at night under a green headlight or a uh, UVB light. So wow, weird. yeah, yeah, and I've seen this. He's showed this on his uh, on his uh, podcast, and he he has showed this uh, on YouTube. So you use that green light, uh, take a real close look at your leaves, and those uh, powdery mildew and the insect secretions, aka bug poop, will appear to glow. So uh, it's a very early sign that you've got problems long before it becomes a, a huge infestation. So great, great tip from uh, Mr. Cervantes. Yeah, Jorge's getting a little CSI on the bug poop there. <laughs> yeah, but good for him. Very exactly, cool. exactly. It's not a big investment for something that can really save your crop down the line. I think that we tip. got time for one more. Let's do another tip. All right, this one's from an anonymous New York City hydroponic grow pro, who uh, would prefer to remain nameless, but. Uh, he's talking about hydrogen peroxide in a hydroponic uh, reservoir, which is very interesting. So uh, this is H2O2, not just H2O. It's got that extra little O. H2O2 is hydrogen peroxide, typically used to uh, make your hair orange when you're like when you're 13, 13 years yeah. old. <laughs> 13 is more like it, yeah. Yeah, you want to bleach your hair, you use hydrogen peroxide, and then it turns bright orange. There you go. <clears throat> Did but you there ever do are that? other are you, uses. Are you, have you done that? <laughs> I uh, can neither confirm nor deny <laughs> that I tried to get the uh, Tony Hawk hairdo when I was a kid. I'm going to go ahead and consider that confirmed. All right. We'll have to post a photo, I think, it's at this point of the... Uh, <laughs> Of the blonde hair. Perfect. <laughs> okay, so Actually, this... just tangentially, I, I saw you with very long hair on Facebook. That's quite a photo. You had, uh, yeah. you had some long hair, man. Yeah, yeah. That's when I didn't have to work full-time anywhere. Right. I could just afford to grow a beard and long hair. But Unlike people... high times. They make us, they make us keep <laughs> I guess it high I could go back here. to the long hair now. Yeah, I'm but pretty I've... sure you could. <laughs> cool. Um, so here's the tip. H2O2 not only keeps bacteria and algae at bay in non-organic hydro systems, but it also releases precious oxygen in the root zone as it works its magic. It's especially good in reservoirs that run hot, uh, say water above 72 degrees, because that contains less dissolved oxygen, which is necessary to promote bacterial growth. Uh, Using 15 milliliters per gallon of a 3% hydrogen peroxide solution will not only control algae and bacteria, it will also release oxygen oxygen in the water as it kills unwanted unwanted biological agents. So uh, once again, 15 milliliters per gallon of a 3% hydrogen peroxide solution. And this is in non-organic hydroponic growing. You use that in your reservoir, and it can help. So uh, not only that, it keeps the roots nice and white for those hydro growers who hate to uh, have that dark root system for any reason. 
Right. Well, there you go. And better white than orange, I suppose. Like your hair. <laughs> Absolutely. You All right. Don't well, want to um, bleach your uh, your roots the way you bleach your hair. No, completely different. <laughs> well, great tips. And uh, you know, what, what do you say we answer some uh, some grow questions? Yeah, let's do that. I just wanted to mention that those tips are in our uh, special collector's edition, Best of High Times 2012 Easy Grow Guide, which is on newsstands now. And uh, there, we read about five. There's uh, 21 tips total, along with a bunch of other great grow articles and uh, information. So check that out. Yeah, pick that up and uh, get and some more of those great tips and tricks. But now let's let's. This is my favorite favorite part of the show where the we, we get to yeah we get to answer some uh, listeners' questions and help them out a little bit. So let's dive in. These are all email questions. Uh, we've we've, we've done a lot of the Twitter questions. Now we're doing email. It is freeweed at hightimes.com. And, of course, Twitter, also at Danny Danko, hashtag free weed, at my cues underscore. Let's get started. Uh, Victor writes, hi, Danny, love the podcast. It's a fine mix of everything marijuana. I'm visiting uh, the U.S. and Canada this summer. And my question is, can I buy seeds or weed if I'm a tourist? So when I'm in Toronto, can I buy seeds from a Toronto seed bank? Also, when I'm in Denver, can I walk into a dispensary and buy some weed? Okay. Uh, as for Toronto and uh, other parts of Canada, yes, there are seed banks. Uh, in, in particular, our sometime sponsor, Ontario Seed Bank, is there, uh, Lakeshore Boulevard. Uh, and you can walk right in and you can buy seeds over the counter. Now, how you get those seeds back to wherever you need to get them is up to you as well. And that's uh, a whole other legal uh, issue depending on where you're going. So that's uh, that's the gig when you're in Toronto. Yes, you can. But as far as Denver goes, I think you need a medical license to purchase seeds in uh, in Colorado. And so you would have to establish residency and get yourself a medical thing and all that. And I don't think that uh, that's really something a tourist can do. But you know, you can have a lot of fun as a tourist in Colorado without actually going into a dispensary as well because particularly if you're going to be there on the weekend of uh, april 20th we will be in town and uh yeah Yeah, there's so much fun stuff planned for that i mean uh the party friday night with uh reggie watts the cannabis cup saturday and sunday um it's going to be a blast yeah so so it's going to be a great time we're looking forward to that go to medcancup.com for more info shout out to nicotee too and then uh ganja farmer marlon asher marlon asher yeah very cool well, there you go, Victor. Yeah, you can't walk into a dispensary in Denver and just buy weed, but uh, check out the High Times Cannabis Cup in Denver if you're going to be there. And get your seeds uh, in Toronto from, from Toronto Ontario there. Seed Bank or uh, you know any place uh, else you find there that you feel is reputable. Great. All right. Uh, thank you, Victor. And uh, next question comes in again via email. Adam writes, uh, after reading your Strongest Strains article on High Times, uh, I have to ask, why can't I get Banana Kush? Uh, we don't have dispensaries in my area, and this strain doesn't seem to be available in seed. Uh, so my question is, why are some uh, strains clone only? Huh. Okay. Is this Adam in the, uh, from the land of bubblegum? The birthplace of bubblegum, birthplace yes. birthplace of bubblegum. Nice. Yeah, I've gotten a few uh, very nice emails from Adam. Also mentions he's our true number one fan. Don't hate just because I'm anti-Twitter. I've been listening <laughs> since day one. So, nice. Yeah. Nice. Well, thank you very much for the support. Uh, as far as clone-only strains... Uh, they're out there because they exist from a you know a mother plant that has been shared, so that uh, you know the people have female versions of that strain, but there are no male versions of that strain. Uh, it's a particular phenotype 
of a strain that only exists in a female form. Uh, now, if you're a breeder uh, who knows what they're doing, you can cross that with something and choose for those traits and, and continue crossing and and uh, working with it to try to take a clone-only strain and make it available in seed form. But it's always going to be somewhat different from the original clone only plant based on the genetics that you're adding to it. Now, other things people do is they take those females and uh, force them to uh, get male flowers with sprays and, and stress techniques and then use that pollen uh, on those to get female seeds of that strain. So there's a number of different ways to go from a clone only to seed form, but uh, but that is the reason why some strains are clone only. And it's only a matter of time before they make their way into a, a breeder's hands and the breeder's able to get you that banana kush in seed form uh, as close as they can to that original clone only strain. So um, there's hope and the hope is that people free weed and, and stop hoarding strains and, and share them. And once they get, they get around and they get to people who know what they're doing with them, they can develop all kinds of wonderful seeds and new genetics based on these uh, amazing combinations that can exist and don't yet exist of cannabis varieties. So uh, long story short, that's why clone onlys exist. And, uh, you know, some of the greatest strains on earth are clone only right now. So, All right. Well, thank you, Adam. And uh, thanks for listening. And we wish you luck with your quest for banana kush. Hopefully that you uh, obtain that strain at some point. Uh, next question comes from Double TT82. He is about to start growing for the first time, a non-medical state. Uh, he has grown vegetables in the past and used store-bought fertilizers. For this uh, new venture, he's going to use a soilless mix, your soilless mix. And he writes, I would love to use compost tea, but I don't have a place to put it outside of my house. What fertilizers would you recommend in place of compost tea? Okay. Um, it says here also... Uh, that you were using miracle grow and anybody who's read my column probably knows how I feel about miracle grow. I uh, don't like it. Uh, don't support the company. And I don't uh, believe that miracle grow is going to get you the finest medicine. So uh, as for the soilless mix, if people are interested in that, it's online for free at uh, hightimes.com. It is, if you scroll down, there's a microsite that's Danny Danko's get growing now. And you click on that and it's got like seven or eight of my articles that I wrote uh, for beginners to get started. And then and there's a, uh, organics for beginners article in there that describes that soil mix, uh, in detail. Uh, as far as fertilizers you could purchase, uh, in place of compost tea, uh, there's a number of companies that I definitely trust with organics. Uh, earth juice is one of them. Fox farm, uh, makes great nutrients. Uh, organic hair from botanic hair is a good, organic nutrient. I think even General Hydroponics makes a general organic line uh, that some people swear by. And uh, another company called Nature's Nectar, uh, which I've had, I've seen great results from. And uh, Medi One is uh, the fifth one I would mention out of those. Those are all uh, quality, uh, quality organic nutrients you can get in liquid form or in solid form that you can add to your soil mix. Uh, but don't add it at the beginning. Wait until you've used up the nutrients that are there already with plain water. So the first couple of weeks of vegging, you can use just plain water with that soil mix because there's already a lot of nutrients built in. And then once you start uh, seeing a need for some nitrogen-heavy 
vegetative nutrients, then you start adding that. So yeah, that's where I'd go uh, for organics, indoors, fertilizing uh, in place of compost tea. Very good, and uh, hopefully that helps out double TT82. Not sure why it's double TT. Is that four T's? Because if it was double T, that would be two T's, but he's double TT82. Right. So Maybe it's, it's like T TT. Anyway, compost tea. Hopefully that helps. Moving on. Last question. Let's do one from Twitter real quick. And again, at Danny Danko, hashtag free weed. At Blake Burns, 1976, writes, Is it true that neem oil suffocates plants when it gives the leaves that shiny sheen? Uh, is it detrimental to spray too often? Okay, very good question. Neem oil does coat leaves, and, and that will affect those, uh, those fan leaves' ability to, uh, you know, breathe the air, uh, take in the uh, CO2 and release the oxygen that they need to do to thrive. So typically, when you apply neem oil in a spray form, uh, you apply it very liberally. You let it sit for, you know, a, a while to do what it needs to do, but not long, you know, a half hour to an hour. And then uh, spray again with plain water to uh, release and remove some of that neem oil because it's done its job at that point. Uh, and you don't want your leaves to have that shiny sheen at all times because, uh, like uh, Blake Burns mentioned, it does, it does limit their ability to breathe. So uh, is it detrimental to spray too often? I wouldn't spray neem oil on a daily basis, but I think uh, twice weekly is great. And uh, again, always rinse it off with plain water and your plants will uh, bounce right back and you won't have any kind of pest problems that might be associated if, uh, if you're not using that neem. All right, very good. Uh, that does it for the Q&A. Email us, tweet us, uh, Facebook us. We're here. You get your questions answered on the show. Dan will answer them, so uh, hit us up. I guess everyone stick around. We're going to wrap it up, put a bow on it. Awesome. Thank you. All right, wow. Wow, what an episode. Thank you so much for sticking around. I know we went a little long, but this is uh, episode 20. Uh, we consider it to be an epic episode. This is the one that's going to put us in the stratosphere. It's an episode. An episode. Thank you so much to our guests. Thank you to Nico for talking about the strongest strains. Thank you so much to Reeferman for coming on and uh, filling filling us in on, on the what's been going on and, and the future as well with his seeds because that's some incredible genetics and great information there uh, thank you to our sponsor BC Northern Lights this is a, just an epic episode for us so write us get in touch with us let us know uh, yeah. questions concerns comments tweet at Danny Danko we got a Facebook page for the show Free Weed from Danny Danko uh, put the hashtag Free Weed we're going to get that trending some point soon so at some point yeah we haven't absolutely. gotten they support Oaksterdam, sign, sign those petitions. We, uh, we will not bow down anymore. Join the movement if you haven't already. Do whatever you can. Thank you to all the loyal listeners and followers and everybody. We appreciate it. Uh, without further ado, let's cue uh, up that free weed music and sign off on episode 20. Stay strong, Oakland.
Hello? Did he hang up? I think he must have hung up. Wait, 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 okay, and...